Did you know Jesus is alive? Did you notice that this morning? That's why we were singing. He is alive. (laughs) You might feel dead this morning. Physically dead. Didn't get enough sleep. You might feel spiritually dead this morning. But He is alive. And we worship a living Savior, not a dead one. We praise His name this morning. And I hope you were encouraged by that because I was. Open up your Bibles, please, to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. And as I was studying and reading this chapter, Proverbs chapter 5, one word came to my mind. And the word that came to my mind in reading and studying Proverbs chapter 5 was this word, run. Run. Not for me to run away from the passage, though at times I felt like that. Run. Because the Father is sitting the Son down. He is sitting us down this morning. And I believe He wants to say that very thing to us. Run. And there's two senses of that word run. The first sense is this. If you are in a house and the house is on fire... And the black smoke is billowing into the room. What should you do? You should run. Why? Because you should run away from the danger. It's the first sense in run. The second sense in run is this. You're in a race. You're in first place. You are about to win. You're coming towards the finishing line. The prize is right there. What should you do? You should run. You should run to win the prize. So there's two senses in which the Father is going to sit down with us and say, My son, my daughter, you need to run. How? You need to run from the danger and you need to run toward the prize. You need to run. And these are the speeches of Proverbs. If you would allow me for a second, before we get to the running part, allow me to remind you of where we're at. Proverbs is a book of two halves. It's kind of like sport. They say in sport, sport is is a game of two halves. Sometimes the first half is totally different to the second half. And that's what we have in Proverbs. Sometimes the first half is completely different to the second half. And so the first nine chapters, you have these wise speeches from a father to a son. And in the second half of the book, you have these wise sayings. And where we're at at the moment is we are in the wise speeches. And we have heard many of them. The first speech was this, the come with us speech. You will have in this world people saying to you, come with us, join us, live with us, and you are not to follow them. The come with us speech. The second speech was the if then speech. If you treasure up my commands, if you, if you hold them tightly in your heart, then you will be blessed. The third speech was the devotion speech. Devote your entire life to the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. The devotion speech. The fourth speech was the don't speech. Sometimes wisdom says no. And it's okay that we hear the don't speech. Sometimes in gospel preaching, people are afraid of the don'ts in the Bible. We don't need to be afraid of those. They're good for our soul. Sometimes someone needs to tell us, don't do that. And we need to listen to it, right? 
Sometimes parents need to say to children, don't do that. And you want them to listen, right? So we as God's children need to hear that. The don't speech. And then the fifth, the sixth, and seventh speech were all in chapter 4. And we heard those speeches. The, the fifth speech was the get wisdom speech. The beginning, he said this, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Get it. The sixth speech was, was the, um, uh, what was it? Stay on, the, stay on the right path speech. You see, in Proverbs, he's always presenting these two paths. The path of darkness and the path of light. The, the wide path that leads to destruction and the narrow path that leads to death. Guess which path that leads to life, sorry. Guess which path you should follow? The narrow one that leads to life. And then the seventh speech was the guard your heart speech. Above all else, he says, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Now we come to the eighth speech. Run. Run. In many ways, this is the father sitting down and giving the talk to the son. And he wants to tell the son, run. Because again, son, there are two ways. There is the wide path that leads to destruction and there is the narrow path that leads to life and I want you to choose the narrow path. There there is the lust of the world that you might want to chase and there is the love of your wife and I want you to choose the love of your wife. There is the forbidden woman who will seek to entice you and draw you in but I want you to go towards the perfect woman. I want you to run away from the forbidden woman and I want you to run toward the perfect woman. Run. And so he begins his speech by telling him, run away as fast as you can from the forbidden woman. Chapter 5, verse 1. Read it with me. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to the death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me. And do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. And do not go near the door of her house. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan. When your flesh and body are consumed, And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. 
I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Run away from the forbidden woman. Now, he didn't use the word run, did he? But that's exactly what he's saying in this passage, isn't it? You need to run away from this forbidden woman. Don't go anywhere near her. Don't allow her in your life. Run as far away as you can from her. And there's two reasons you need to run away from her. You need to run away from her because she will kill you. This is serious. The forbidden woman, she will kill you. And her weapon of choice is not what we would expect from the forbidden woman. The weapon of choice from the forbidden woman, people might expect that it might be her natural beauty. The forbidden woman might entice the young man with her natural beauty. That is the weapon of choice. That is the weapon that she will use in order to kill the man. But it is not her natural beauty. Maybe people might think her weapon of choice would be her provocative dress, the way she dresses in order to entice the young man. Maybe that would be her weapon of choice in order for the young man to pursue the forbidden woman. It's all the externals. Well, actually, her weapon of choice is neither of those things. Her weapon of choice that she uses to kill you is her lips. Not her outward beauty, not her dress, her words. Her lips will kill you, and you need to watch out. Verse 3 says it, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. Initially, the lips of the forbidden woman, the words of the forbidden woman, initially they will entice, initially they will taste sweet. And isn't that the way with all of our sin? Can we not just admit for a second that all of our sin, for one moment, tastes sweet? It does. If it tasted immediately disgusting and revolting, we would never sin, would we? The reason we sin is because initially, horrifyingly, we like the taste. Her lips drip honey. Her voice entices you. Her words are smoother than oil. She will use that to kill you. And some people might reason in their minds, some men might reason in their minds, It's just a text. It's not going to do any harm. She's just making a few jokes. It's not going to do any harm. It's not going to ruin me or her. We haven't done anything physical. We're only sharing words. We're only exchanging words. We're only texting words. This is not going to do any harm. Or after work, you and her alone, She has the conversation with you, says some words, suggestive words, jokes. It's not going to do any harm. We didn't do anything. But adultery doesn't begin with one night of passion. It begins with little compromise after little compromise after little compromise after little compromise. 
until finally those words kill you. And of course, this is not just a forbidden woman, is it? There's also a forbidden man too. The one who is not your wife and the one who is not your husband is forbidden. And the forbidden man, maybe he talks to you in better ways than your husband does. Maybe he knows you better. You can have a better conversation with him. He will kill you. The only reason the father is talking about a forbidden woman here is why he's talking to his son. You see, we can't expect the Bible passage to say everything. Just like we can't expect a sermon to cover every single angle. But yet it is true. Just as as there is a forbidden woman, there is a forbidden man. And all of us, we need to run away. Why? Because in the end it will kill you. Verse 4 says, But in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Do you see what he's doing in the imagery? Words? Her words? They're sweet. But in the end, they're bitter. Her words, they are smooth. But in the end, they are sharp as a two-edged sword. The imagery there in the two-edged sword is actually this. If you were to translate it completely literally, it would be this. Her, 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 her mouth is like a mouth of swords. That means when she speaks, it won't, only be, it won't be smooth to you. Actually, the words will come out as daggers to you. They will kill you. We need to run away. And of course, many of us are sitting there saying, never happened to me. Will never happen to me. I love her. I love him. This passage says we need to watch out. We need to watch out. Because if we don't, these words will kill us. And what words does a forbidden man or a forbidden woman use? Well, two types of words, I think. There's more, of course. Flirting and flattery. Flirting, I've already talked about, kind of the suggestive language, the suggestive jokes. I mean, those things are obvious. We, we know those things. But then there is flattery. And flattery can be summed up like this. I was reading an article a while ago about flattery. And flattery is quite subtle. Flattery is like this. It is excessive and insincere praise given especially to further one's own interests. So there is a thing called flattery that Proverbs condemns actually again and again throughout Proverbs. He condemns flattery and flattery is this excessive, excessive over-the-top praise. You are amazing. Over-the-top praise that you don't mean it's insincere and you actually want to get something from that. And so often the forbidden man or the forbidden woman will use flattery in order to entice and draw you in. I guess I am great. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm wonderful. 
And again and again, compromise after compromise, slowly but surely, it will lead to death. There's a difference, though, between flattery and encouragement, right? I want us in this church to be a church that constantly encourages one another. Constantly encouraging one another and and praising um, God for God's work in other people's lives. We want to encourage one another. We want to thank people who 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 lead us in praise. Thank people who lead us in the in the sound and the music. Thank people who set up these chairs. You know, someone came and set up these chairs before you came in to sit down. We want to thank people and encourage people. That's not flattery. That's good and right, and we should do that. But flattery is often something that the forbidden woman will use in order to entice. It is excessive praise used to draw you in. And you and I need to run away from that. And how do we fight the lips of flattery? Well, we fight it with our own lips. Verse 2, it says this, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge for the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey. How do you battle her lips? You battle them with your lips. So, if you find yourself in a situation where you are part of an inappropriate conversation, either now or in the future, what are you to do? Leave the conversation go? No, you use your lips to battle against her lips or his lips. You say something. You do not let that go and you do not entertain it. You say something against the forbidden woman. Use your lips. We have, we have talked about the, the devotion of our memories to God. We need to use our lips to speak out the Word of God into our lives. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Why did I learn that? Because I don't want to love the world. And sometimes I can't even get all the words out. The word I get out in in those verses is this. Shane, don't love the world. I'm constantly saying that to myself each and every single day. Shane, don't love the world. Use our lips against their lips. Don't love the world. We need to flee from the forbidden woman. We need to run away from sexual immorality because she will kill you. The second reason is because she will ruin you. If you were to summarize this speech up, this section of the speech up, it's summarized well in verse 8. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Keep far away from the forbidden woman. Don't go near her. Don't entertain it. Keep far away. And the reason you need to keep far away from her is because she will ruin you. Look at what he says in verse 11. And at the end of your life, you will groan. For the Christian, at the end of our life, we want to say this. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. I love looking at older Christians who finish well. 
And I want all of us in this room to finish the race well. To say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Or we could look back on our life and we could groan. Why did I get caught up in that? I have ruined my life. If only we knew where our sin was leading, right? We would never do it, would we? If only we knew where this was going, we would never do it. It ruins us. And that's what he says in verse 14. I am at the brink of utter ruin. This will destroy us. She will ruin us. There is a pastor in the, in the States... Um, pastor who I read quite a lot. I listened to a lot of his sermons. He was a, a gifted preacher and a gifted writer. Um, I was going to mention his name, but I'm actually not going to mention his name because I don't think it will be helpful. It's all public anyway. But he, he wrote a book on biblical manhood that I loved. He wrote a book with his wife on marriage. And yet a few years ago, he got fired from his church. Why did he get fired from his church? They said this, inappropriate conversations, meetings with two women. They're probably gracious to him. I don't know the details. I don't know what was going on. But that's why he was fired. Where did it begin? One night of passion? No. Small compromise after small compromise after small compromise. Small conversation after small conversation. Of course it doesn't mean that we don't talk to each other, right? We should talk to each other. Men should talk to women. We don't need to be afraid of each other. We shouldn't be. There can be friendships between men and women, and there should be. That's right. What's the difference? Inappropriate conversations inappropriate meetings, inappropriate flirting or flattery. That's what we should watch out for. Run away from that. Got fired. What does a pastor do if he gets fired? You see, the accountant, if he gets caught up in adultery, he goes to work on Monday morning. The architect, he gets caught in adultery, he goes to work on Monday morning. The pastor, he's done. He's done. It will ruin you. It will ruin me. Done. Last year, this pastor, he killed himself. Ruined him. Done. That will never happen to me. You say, I love him. I love her. It would be foolishness if we didn't prepare ourselves for the battle to run away from the forbidden woman. Why? Because the wisdom book in the Bible, the wisdom book in the Bible says, get yourself ready and run away. Don't entertain it. She will kill you. She will ruin you. And why does she kill him? Why does she ruin him? Because ultimately, do you know what happened? He didn't listen. 
In verse, in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom and incline your ear to my understanding. Verse 7 says, And now, O sons, listen and do not depart from the words of my mouth. You see, there are words of her mouth that are like sharp to double-edged sword. And there are words from my mouth that are wisdom for you. Her mouth will lead to death. My mouth will give you wisdom if you listen. But what ruins him is this, verse 13. It is, it is shocking. He looks back on his life, groaning. He looks back on his life saying, I've ruined it. I have wrecked it. Why? Verse 13 says, I did not listen to the voice of my teachers. Why didn't I listen? We need to listen and hear the words of the Father. It will ruin you. And I think that forces us to ask a couple of questions. Number one, am I teachable? Am I coming with a posture of I want to hear from others? If others see me in relationships and interactions and whatever, am I with a posture that says, I want you to tell me. I want you to warn me. And I'm ready to listen. Is that our posture? Because the Christian's duty is this. Galatians 6, 1 says this. If anyone is caught in any transgression or sin, you who are spiritual should restore him with gentleness. And keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So it is the Christian's job, according to Galatians 6, 1, it is the Christian's job to approach one another, to say, you know what? I don't think that's right for you to do that. I don't think that's right for you to be engaging in the way that you're engaging with him or her. I don't think that's appropriate and I don't think that's right. I think for us as Christians, it's our job to engage in that conversation and we might help save someone from ruin. And then also it's our job then as Christians to be teachable, to be ready to hear someone say, you know, be careful there. At the, at the normal level, that means, you know, gossip or or anger we should be ready and humble to receive teaching from other people to say that's not right that's not appropriate pray that we would be that kind of community in church that would help each other be teachable and the second thing is are we teaching not only are we teachable but are we teaching see the father is sitting down with the son and he's getting the son ready He's teaching these things. He's not avoiding the reality of sexual immorality. And so as parents, as families, as a church, we should be engaged with teaching and preparing our children. They are either taught in the playground or they are taught at home and in the church. Where do you want them to be taught? Do you want them to be taught about sexual immorality and sexual purity in the playground? That's where I was taught in the playground. Do you want them to be taught there? I'll tell you what, you don't want them to be taught there. Because it's foolishness there. You say, oh, that's awkwardness. That's weird. We can't do it. We shouldn't mention it. We don't know about it. And then they come into the church and they say, the church has no answers for me. The playground has answers for me. The yard has answers for me. My best friend has answers for me. Church doesn't have answers for me. No, we should be teaching. We should be taking moments like this passage and going home with our families and asking them, even, even the young kids, What did you hear? What did you learn? 
Let's talk. Build them up in wisdom. Run away from the forbidden woman and run to the perfect woman. Run to the perfect woman. God has given us something wonderful, and it is called marriage. It is a beautiful thing. And one of the ways we avoid sexual immorality with a forbidden woman is to engage in a beautiful and wonderful, intimate relationship with the perfect woman that the Lord has given us. And of course, not everybody is called to marriage, are they? They're not. Jesus wasn't. Paul wasn't. But some of us are. And, and, and if you're called to marriage, you know, young people will always say, you know, who is the one? Who is the one for me? Who is the one that God... The one for you is the one that you marry. That's the one for you. The perfect one for you is the one that you marry. That's the one for you. And there is this wonderful passage in Genesis. And in Genesis, it it speaks of the very first words, or records the very first words of a human being ever in history. Probably not his first words, but the first recorded words. And it was a love song about his wife. He said this, At last, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Guess what? They should go forth and multiply. Sexual relationship between a husband and wife is not rude or disgusting or wrong. It is beautiful. Don't let the world take that away from us. It is beautiful. And it is to be enjoyed. And our God is a wonderful creator who knows exactly what he is doing. And he takes the Ish, the man, and he joins the Isha to her. The Ish is perfectly joined to the Isha. Both together. In marriage, the two shall become one flesh and it is a beautiful and wonderful union. And this is what the Father wants to relay to the Son. He says to him in verse 15, let me read it to you. Drink from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Drink from your own sister. Embrace a loving, glorious relationship with your wife, my son. And don't be embarrassed by it. The picture is a dry, arid land of Canaan in which there is not much water. 
and a cistern is dug out of the ground to collect rainwater as a private well for you. He's saying, why are you going looking for puddles when you've got this whole cistern there for you? See, we're all made with a thirst, aren't we? A thirst for an intimate sexual relationship. That thirst is not quenched by the forbidden woman. It is quenched by the perfect woman and the perfect man that God has for you. And it is a glorious thing. And I love the language he uses. Be intoxicated in her love always. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we had marriages like that in this church? where we were intoxicated by one another, where our children were to see, Daddy really, really likes Mommy. And Mommy really, really, really likes Daddy. They're captivated by each other and intoxicated by each other. And of course, the marriage relationship is not just physical, is it? Yes, that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about a physical relationship and you are to be intoxicated by one another in that way. That is a beautiful thing. That is a wonderful thing. That is a glorious thing. We should not be ashamed by that. But also we know that marriage is more than just the physical reality. It is emotional. It is spiritual. It is sacrificial. Ephesians chapter 5 um, Unfortunately, Luana only read out the wife's part, but there is the husband's part, which I I did want her to read, but, but we didn't get there. The husband's part is what? Lay down your life for your wife. Don't lie down on the couch. Lay down your life. Don't lay down on the couch. say that to me. Lay down your life for her. Don't just lie down on the couch. We as men, we need to love our wives emotionally, spiritually, and sacrificially. Can I tell you what? I have not made it. I have not made it. I need the Lord's help and strength to love her as she ought. I have not made it. When I preach, I don't preach with perfection. I don't, and I never will. I can promise you one thing. I won't preach ever from perfection. But I will preach with conviction in two ways. I will be convicted that what I am preaching is absolutely true. And I think you've gathered that from me right now. But I'll also be convicted with a broken heart that I amn't always fully living out these things as I ought. And my guess is some of the men in this room are the same way. Lord, help us to be intoxicated by our wives. Spiritually, emotionally, sacrificially and yes indeed physically God has made it for us and it is a beautiful thing not for us to be ashamed 
And the motivations He's given to us, men particularly and also women, the motivation He's given to us to be intoxicated in our marriages is this. She will kill you. She will ruin you. The other one will bless you and be with you. But the primary motivation He gives in this passage is verse 21. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. For a man's ways are always before the eyes of the Lord. See, with sexual sin, sometimes people think, I'm getting away with it. I'm getting away with it. No one's going to see what I'm looking at on my phone. Getting away with it. No one's going to see what I'm looking at on my computer. I'm, I'm getting away with it. No one sees the conversation or the little touch. I'm getting away with it. You're not getting away with it. You're not getting away with it. The Lord sees everything. And the Lord of all the earth will one day judge. You are not going to get away with it. So what do you need to do? You need to run to Him for forgiveness today. Because He will forgive you. Corinthians says this, Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor those who practice sexual immorality will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. If you have been failing, following after the forbidden man or following after the forbidden woman, there's hope for you in Jesus. Because the one who watches you and sees everything you do has also died for you and says, come to me. And he will heal you. You will be justified. You will be washed. You will be sanctified and you will be brought home to Him for eternal life. Run away from the forbidden woman and run to the perfect woman. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You uh, for Your Word this morning and we pray that You would enable us and help us to live in accordance with Your words. Lord, we hear your warning in Scripture. We hear your encouragement in Scripture. And we pray that we would not seek to go after lips that are smooth and drip honey, but drink from our own sister water that you have given us to drink. 
Lord, we pray as we sing your praises. Help us, Lord, to confess our sin, even today, before you. In your name.